such a joy to see the kids. Our second reading today continues the biblical narrative of Jesus and the Samaritan woman from the Gospel according to John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, that is the Samaritan woman, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the time is coming when you and your people will worship God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. For God looks for those who worship this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The disciples are beginning to wonder about Jesus. 
They're walking north from Judea all the way back to Galilee, and Jesus says they have to go through Samaria. What is he talking about? They know that you can get from here to there without going where Jesus says they have to go. And in those days, no self, self-respecting righteous Jew goes into Samaria on purpose. You see, these people have been basically hating each other for 700 years. Jews had once destroyed the Samaritan temple. Samaritans had slaughtered Jews. Violence had gone back and forth for all of those years. And all of the old hatreds, even from long ago in the past, just seemed hard to let go. At noon, when it is dreadfully hot and they are hungry and thirsty, the disciples go off to a nearby town and leave Jesus, who is tired, sitting by a well. When a Samaritan woman shows up with her bucket to get some water, he simply asks her for a drink and she's taken aback. In her culture, a man simply doesn't speak to a woman he doesn't know, and a Jewish person doesn't consider drinking from the same cup as a Samaritan. She seems to have the sad expectation that she is considered a nobody, that no one could actually want to share space or water with her. I'm reminded of what so many people in America's segregated South learned to expect through all of the years that they were treated as nobodies. The late Reverend Howard Thurman talked more than once about the day that his little girl was hot and thirsty. She walked up to the water fountain and stood on her tippy toes but she had barely tasted it when in a heartbreaking moment, he had to pull her away. It was the late 1930s and the sign over the fountain said, whites only. Can you imagine having to explain to your child that simply because of the color of her skin, she can't use certain drinking fountains, swimming pools, bathrooms, playgrounds, or even sections of the library? Howard recalls the pain of watching the tears in his sweet little girl's eyes, and he said he cried with her. Those signs were basically discounting her importance in the world, telling her that she didn't matter, or at least not nearly as much as certain other people. There were insiders and outsiders, and she was one of the outsiders. Reverend Thurman put his arms around both of his little girls that day and said, listen, you little girls are really somebody. You are so important, so valuable to God that it takes the governor and lieutenant governor to keep you from that water. (laughs) Jesus conveys a similar message to the woman in our Bible story today. She is important and valuable in the eyes of God. By the way, so are you. Of course, Thurman's daughters were innocent. With the history of all those husbands, the woman at the well seems to be, well, not so innocent. 
Our speculation, though, about her marriages is just that. We're guessing. In her time, women aren't allowed to leave their husbands, only the other way around, with the husbands leaving the wives. Men can pass women around like property, so we don't know if she just made life miserable for them or if some of them have died, if some of them have just left her for someone else, if maybe one of them gave her to another man in exchange for something like land or sheep. It happened. Whatever happened, the people of her village shun her. Even if she is lacking in moral character or good judgment, she doesn't deserve to be treated like a nobody. Afraid to draw water in the cool of the morning when all the other women gather there, she comes in the hotness of high noon when no one can stare at her or whisper about her. She thinks she's alone only to encounter this Jewish man, Jesus, who she is convinced is going to look down on her too. At first, she and Jesus seem to talk kind of past each other. She's still thinking about tangible drinking water when Jesus begins talking about living water that can quench her spiritual thirst. He can tell that her soul is parched. She needs something more in her life. The lonely, ostracized woman is elated to find in Jesus someone who seems to know everything she has ever done, mistakes, regrets, fears, and promises, knows it all, and still offers her this hope of living water to quench her soul. He still loves her just as she is. That is so important, isn't it? March 20th is Mr. Rogers Day officially now, when we celebrate this Presbyterian minister who offered children so much kindness and caring through the many years of the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood Show. As I mentioned before, when I served a church in Pennsylvania for a few months before I found a place to live, he let me live in the home that he still kept and often uh, visited where he grew up. He had it as kind of a second home. I met him only a few times. I officiated at his aunt's funeral. I came to admire his genuine, loving spirit, and I'm certainly not alone. I recently read an account of how Mr. Rogers made a difference to one particular man when he gave him a message through the TV screen that changed his life. Tom, a lawyer who does a lot of pro bono work defending abused children, shared the story of how an adult survivor of abuse named Malachi was touched by Mr. Rogers. He was a man of Polynesian descent. He was a large man. He had wonderfully wild curly hair. And he was a fantastic counselor for children who had gone through the similar types of traumas that he had once endured. On his desk, there was a trolley. Do you remember the little trolley on Mr. Neighbors, um, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? Um, and Tom asked him about it. So the man, Malachi, said that as a child, the most dangerous time for me was in the afternoon when my mother got tired and irritable. She liked to beat me in discreet places so my father wouldn't see the bruises. 
One particular day, she went for the legs. I was knocked down so that I couldn't get back up. She gave me one last kick and left me there upstairs, face down on the carpet. I tried to get up, but I couldn't. So I dragged myself arm over arm to the television, climbed up the TV cabinet and turned on the TV. And there was Mr. Rogers. It was the end of the show and he was having a quiet, calm conversation with the kids. And in that moment, he seemed to look me in the eye when he said, and I like you just for being you. In that moment, it was like he was reaching across time and space to say those words to me when I needed to hear them the most. It was like the hand of God. It hit me in the soul. I was a miserable kid. I was sure that I was a horrible person. I was sure that I deserved every last moment of abuse, every blow, every bad name. I was sure I earned it, sure I didn't deserve better. I knew all of those things until that moment. If this man, who I hadn't even met, liked me just for being me, then I couldn't be all bad. Then maybe someone could love me even if it wasn't my mother. It gave me hope. If that nice man liked me, when I, then I wasn't a monster. I was worth fighting for. From that day on, his words were like a secret fortress in my heart. No matter how broken I was, no matter how much it hurt or what was done to me, I could remember his words and get back on my feet and go on for another day. That's why I keep the trolley here, to remind me that no matter how terrible things look, someone who had never met me liked me for just being me. And that makes even the worst day worth it to me. I know how stupid it sounds, but Mr. Rogers saved my life. The next time Tom saw Malachi, he was talking to one of his clients. Tom says when they were done with their session, he helped her out of her chair. He took both of this little girl's hands and looked her right in the eyes and said, and remember, I like you just for being you. That, to me, is Mr. Rogers' most powerful legacy. All of the little lives he changed and made better with simple words that were sincere and filled with love and kindness. When Jesus encounters the woman at the well, he sees a flicker of God's light still within her, even when she can't see it. When she mentions her hope in the Messiah, he basically says, well, here I am. I am God's presence with you. In her encounter with Jesus, he doesn't give her advice. He gives her himself. This is more than he has told his disciples, more than he has told anyone. The disciples, the ones who were supposed to be the insiders, the followers, get all upset when they come back and see Jesus conversing with this Samaritan woman. They may think they are the respectable ones who have the inside scoop on Jesus but they get twisted in knots, worrying about if someone is worthy of his attention. At the same time, she, who has been a complete outsider, the unacceptable one, is the one that Jesus trusts with his identity. She takes off to share the news of Jesus with the people in her village. 
Before meeting him, she had no real voice. She believed it when people treated her as less than. But Jesus gives her her voice back, and she runs to tell everyone about him. Although we don't even know the name of this woman at the well, she was surely the first evangelist, the first one to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And what was her message? Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Can he not be the Messiah? The message that she's sharing pulls on their heartstrings, and they come rushing to Jesus, and then these Samaritans ask this Jewish man to stay with them for a few days. All of us want to be acknowledged and accepted for just who we are, not for the face we sometimes feel we have to show to the world, but us the good, the bad, and the ugly of what we think and feel, the experiences we've had, the things that we have done and said. How life-restoring to be known through and through, forgiven for the mistakes we've made, loved as we are. You and I are called to give water to thirsty people, to pay attention to all of those whose parched souls need to know about the living water of Jesus Christ. If we want to offer that water to others, we can't be dried cisterns ourselves. We need to keep coming to Jesus with the cup of our open hands and our open hearts ready to be filled. Dr. Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Seminary, is actually a humble man who I enjoy hearing preach because he does preach from his heart. And I like the way particularly he once talked about this well of living water. He said that whether you make your way to Jesus through a straight and narrow path or through the winding path of twists and turns, it only matters that you find your way to the well. You will know that you've tasted of the water if you are finally no longer thirsting for something more or something else. If after having been to the well you lose your way again and the thirst returns, it's okay. You know where the well is. Just come back to it. Just come back to Jesus who is waiting with living water for you. I would add to that that you don't always even have to find the water. The water finds you, like the woman at the well. Sometimes we are just going along, minding our own business, when Jesus shows up in unmistakable ways. As Jim Garner put it, To receive this living water, we don't have to drag our buckets to the well or drag them home. We just need to ask for it, and it rains all over us. Thanks be to God. Amen.